I'm Libby Rothschild, former clinical dietitian who transformed into a full-time virtual business owner. It was only one year ago when I made $55,000 a year in my clinical job. And now I make $100,000 a month being my own boss. And you can do this too. My clients, who are all female dietitians and students, started from zero and created six-figure, multi-six-figure businesses by following my proven method. And they've all been guests on air. My proven method shows you how to attract cash paying clients using social media marketing strategies that work. You don't have to guess, waste time, or hold yourself back when you follow my step-by-step method. Monique Nadu is founder of Eat Love, a San Francisco-based digital health company specializing in personalized nutrition. As co-founder and former CEO, Monique led Hope Street Group, a national public policy organization that harnesses technology to mobilize an extensive professional network outside of government to promote economic vitality, policy areas of health, education, and job creation. Her experience centers on building and growing organizations through deep collaboration with partners from across the country. Welcome to today's episode. Welcome, and if you could just uh, let us know, yeah, happy to have you. If you could let us know where to find you on social media. So we are at eatlove.is, and we're also on LinkedIn, and you can find us at pro.eatlove.is as well. Fantastic. All right, so if you could tell us a little bit more about your journey and how you became a CEO for Eat Love, and, and just more specifically about what Eat Love is and how it serves and, and how dietitians can use it. Sure. So Eat Love came about, I had just completed some two very intense years working at the national level in in healthcare related to the Affordable Care Act. I had co-founded this bipartisan organization and I was thinking that perhaps I would go back into investment banking where I had come from. My background was as a financial engineer and I just couldn't shake this concern that in all of the research that I had done around policy was just how much challenges that laid ahead for us as a country around health outcomes. You know, the CDC had predicted that we would reach 40% obesity by 2030, 42%, and we're now at 39.8, 10 years early. So we've actually overshot a lot of those predictions. And I was just really concerned that in looking at the way that healthcare was being delivered, that we would not have enough practitioners. And really, we needed to make a greater emphasis around preventative care and really looking upstream. And what other better place to look at that than around nutrition, sleep, and and physical activity and stress management. So those were very much my policy interests. And at the time, it was you know, looking at what sort of tools would have been available. And, you know, now, of course, with COVID-19, we're seeing a lot of those underlying circumstances around comorbidities have an impact on the chronically ill population. I've always been in my career inherently attracted to people who want to solve like really complicated problems. It feels like the harder the problem, the more excited I get. And I think it's because there was an intensity similar to Wall Street where my time spent in London. And I think that I had an opportunity to either go back to banking or to try to fixate on this idea of preventative medicine. At the same time, it just so happened, and perhaps this was the ultimate spark for Eat Love, is that my grandmother 
who uh, had been diagnosed with a health condition had gone to the to see the physician and then had been referred to a registered dietitian. And she came home and she said to me, you know, Monique, they gave me this. And it was this printed generic sort of meal plan. And she said, I, I'm vegetarian. I'm not really sure what to do with this. And I have allergies. And so she kind of looked at it and I think she essentially handed me a research project. And she said, you know, I, I really want you to, to figure out what am I supposed to do with this? And I think that had a very personal impact on me because I had been discussing it for so many years at the 50,000 foot level. And what I found is that when someone I cared so much about was given, you know, sound nutritional guidance, there was a huge gap between what she should be doing and then actually her everyday, everyday life. And this came to head when sadly we lost her a few years after that. And I remember asking her before she passed away, I said, in all your 83 years, and you have to imagine, my grandmother was very blessed that she had almost still entirely black hair at 83 years old. Like she just had a touch of gray. I so helped that I inherit her genes and these piercing blue eyes. And I said, Mimi, if you could change anything about your life, what would it be? And she looked at me really intensely and she said, you know, I wish I understood the impact of food on my body and how it really drove all of these, you know, in my later years, outcomes about how I was feeling and the energy. And then at that moment, I think in many ways, the decision had been made for me that banking was, you know, it was incredibly fast paced, awesome, you know, environment, always learning. But really, I wanted to tackle what I thought was a problem that, you know, affects our national security, affects our economics, it affects our quality of life. And in that moment, I decided that I would make the commitment to starting Eat Love. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story. I love that. That personal story blended with your professional background and how you were able to marry the two and get to that point where you decided to do meaningful work, more meaningful work, right? You've already done meaningful work, but build on that. And so if you could talk a little bit about Eat Love and in your words and how it helps dietitians and what specifically Eat Love does. As you mentioned, we are a digital health company. We're based here in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, and we've decided to focus on personalized nutrition. And dietitians and other health practitioners partner with us when they would like to offer personalized nutrition programs at scale in a way that is profitable and doable for them but also very meaningful and value add for their clients. So again, if you take the example I gave initially about the generic sort of meal plan, according to our data, those don't work. And if we asked, you know, all of our partners and we said, okay, how often do you see transformation with a client based on a very sort of static output? The vast majority of them will say, yes, it's more of an education tool. It's more of something that they can kind of refer to. And oh, by the way, it takes me tons of hours to do. Or if I pulled one maybe from the nutrition care manual. And really what we found is that people and their families are really looking for an operating system for the 200 decisions they make every day around food and diet. And so the ability and the coolness, I think, about technology and artificial intelligence and machine learning, and then a tremendous amount of data 
is to actually decouple a nutrition prescription from being able to be set by 70, you know, unique macro micronutrients all the way downstream to what the individual needs to actually implement it with their life. And so it used to be the old way was eat this food at this time. The new way can be, here's the goals that we're setting for you and the parameters. And oh, by the way, here's a tremendous amount of freedom so that the choices that you can make are the better choice. Or, and then we'll work with you in order to do that. So Eat Love provides that opportunity and we see the benefits both from the practitioners we work with and that we partner with and that we learn from, and then also from the families that we work with and that we learn from. And we're constantly innovating the technology according to that. And can you give me an example of, of how dietitians as practitioners use Eat Love to help them scale? Sure. So they become members of Eat Love. And they gain access to a technology platform. And with that comes access to Lena. And a little bit of a, a funny background there is that, so Lena was named after Lena Francis Cooper, who co-founded the uh, Academy in uh, Nutrition and Dietetics in 1917. And Lena will evaluate, it was about four years of R&D and Lena will evaluate about 4 million dietary factors in less than a second. So instead of the dietitian having to do a lot of the analysis by hand, what they spend their time looking at is, again, that unique nutrition prescription for their, for their client. So they're able, through this platform, to be able to introduce these scalable nutrition programs they invite their clients to the platform, and then the clients also benefit from having the ability to, once the nutrition prescription is set, they can see what meals optimize for food waste that are recommended for them in the moment. It might be meals they're cooking at home, or we support up to currently, and we add more regularly, up to 30 of the national restaurant chains. So it's what should I eat at Starbucks all the way to... I'm having dinner next Wednesday and I need to be able to have something in 30 minutes or less. And then it produces a grocery list, which you can add cat litter and toilet paper to. And then it's fully integrated into Amazon and Instacart for optional grocery delivery. But, but really by having all of these tools to remove some of the friction of our day-to-day -day activities, it enables the dietitian to focus on behavior change rather than imagine how many hours they would have to spend if they were trying to provide some of these tools and support by hand. So your tool helps dietitians essentially focus on the behavior change aspect of counseling, where your tool helps with some of those decisions when it comes to the assessment piece of individualizing macro and micronutrients to help optimize the health of the, of the client. Is that correct? Absolutely. And then in addition to that, the dietitians, because they are delivering this new type of value to their clients, they're able to create memberships and new packages where they're able to provide support between visits and to additionally enhance the type of recommendations and the behavior change, more of a therapeutic relationship that they're working with their clients. Fantastic. Excellent. And let's talk for a moment about dietitians. 
So can you talk about how dietitians are overqualified as a whole and the opportunities that we have as practitioners to make more income and impact? Where do you see dietitians falling short? So I look at it from the aspect of what opportunities are in this current environment. I will say just, just on that for a moment, which is we work with thousands of dietitians. And I think like many Americans right now, there's, you know, amid COVID-19, there's been a lot of changes with quarantine and our jobs and our family life. And I think that for, for many, that's been a very stressful environment. And I think not just for dietitians, but I think all of us as a whole. And where I get a lot of hope is around the opportunity for dietitians right now to focus on building out the practice that they always wanted. And so what does that mean? It means having a little bit more time potentially because their day job is scaled back if they're working in a certain facility or company to be able to spend time honing their skills, re-looking at their messaging, working with coaches like yourself, like being able to really look at like where do they want to position their practice who are the type of populations that they want to support? What's their voice? And I think being able to revisit that, even if they potentially were not thinking before that this is what they were going to be doing this year, I think we've seen a tremendous amount of activity that is shifted from the physical to 100% virtual. And for many, that I'm a firm believer you don't have to be the smartest, or you don't have to be the most, you know, have access to all the information to win in life, I think you just need to be the most adaptable. And so I think really challenging all of us as professionals to say, okay, this is what I want to be. And by the way, I have this entirely new shift, which is towards virtual, which means that I can have clients that are beyond my local community. I can provide new services that perhaps I didn't know how to provide or I didn't feel comfortable to provide. And I think just setting themselves up for longer term success and making that investment now. E-Love is a technology, so it does require, we do a lot of training with our members. And for many, they're looking at creating a membership and reoccurring packages for the first time with their clients. And so I think it's really helpful to kind of take a step back and kind of being open to those opportunities. I think, and then just technical skills, like we have a saying in medicine that, you know, it takes 17 years from the center of medicine to get to the periphery in terms of the procedures and techniques that are being used. If I could contrast that to technology, when you're introducing a new language within technology, it typically takes like 18 months to get from the center to the periphery. So there's so many changes that are happening around the way we communicate with our clients, the way that we reach them, the way that where they are, what they're reading, what they're doing, that I think it's really important to stay on top of that. Absolutely. And from the dietitians, I know you said, you know, thousands use um, Eat Love. What would you say you find in common, like the top two or three traits that you're noticing are themes of the dietitians, whether you're surprised or not? I think the willingness to learn and challenge themselves. I think being an entrepreneur, when you decide that this is what you're going to do and what you're going to be, 
I think the most successful entrepreneurs accept that they're going to be wrong about 50% of the time. And the trick is to figure out which 50% it is as fast as possible and then iterate. And then it's not about ego and it's not about fear. And I think it's really important with that mindset to be looking at this like abundance mindset versus like a scarcity. Like there's enough for everybody. We've got so many Americans and, and people from around the world who need nutrition guidance. And I think those that bring that I think could take on the world. And I, and again, you had asked the question earlier with dietitians being so qualified, you know, we believe at Eat Love that dietitians are uniquely qualified to set nutrition prescriptions based on that individual's needs and their clinical judgment and their labs and their goals that I just see this opportunity to elevate the dietitian and to be able to have them become really leaders in that, in that movement. So I would say the ability to be wrong, it doesn't have to be perfect to launch. In fact, Reid Hoffman, who started LinkedIn, has a great saying that if you're not embarrassed by what you're launching, then you've waited too long. And I think that's a great insight which is almost counterintuitive to what dietitians learn and all of those in clinical delivery because you're dealing with people's health and you need to be 100% right all the time. It's different with entrepreneurship. It's probably going to be terrible the first time. I certainly will approach things thinking that, you know, my first three times are going to be terrible. And you know what? That's how you innovate and that's okay. I love that. And that is, you explained that so well. So as a recap in clinical uh, or, or for our clinical background as a dietitian, because we're clinically trained and we're taught perfectionism because that's part of being a clinician is getting it correct uh, for the patient or in entrepreneurship. It's, it's almost the reverse is allowing yourself to fail as you learn and being embarrassed in the process because that's part of business growth. So just knowing that and accepting that can help us overcome our fears faster so that we can help more consumers. And then to tie in the abundance mindset, there are enough of consumers for us to help. They want us, they need us. We have to become visible so that they can find us and we can help them. And we can only do that if we allow ourselves to feel embarrassed on that on the process and journey towards launching things that might not be perfect, right? Because that's just part of what it takes for us to get ourselves out there. I would say that you summed that up very well. One common thing I find in dietitians is that they're extremely passionate, absolutely, you know, capable, qualified, um, predominantly females who really just want to help people. And it's just such an amazing group of people. Uh, and so it, it's really exciting to know we have opportunities like Eat Love to be able to, you know, help more clients and find a tool that can help us focus more on things like behavior change because we have tools and opportunities to help us provide better care, more care, more efficient care. But we also have to, you know, strengthen our mindset and believe that we're, we're capable and it's possible for us to do that. And I do think that is still an issue among our, among my colleagues. And I would say Libby, I mean, if you think back of the last five years of Eat Love and what I'm most proud of is not the technology we have built, although there were many, many smart people and heads of data science in Silicon Valley that told us it was going to be impossible to build what we wanted to build. What I'm most proud of is the community of other professionals who are like, you've got this. And, and I was chatting with a, a dietitian about two weeks ago, and she was considering 
setting up an online course. Again, you know, in the current environment, she had been 100% physical, had an office space, had just let it go, was feeling pretty down. She's like, you know, I don't really know what to do. And we talked about that she had been working with an organization. She had access to about 400 email addresses. And we talked about her funnel and we talked about how she could reach out to them and start to cultivate relationships with these 400 or so members of this organization. And she said, okay, if I work really hard, I should be able to launch my online course by December. And I said, why December? And she says, well, I'm going to have to do this and I'm going to have to do that. And then I'm going to do this many versions of it. And it's going to take time and maybe, and I said, okay, imagine you're going to launch in the next 10 days. What is it going to look like? I said, what could you do by hand before just so you can test to make sure that you're driving value? Again, it's, it's redirecting the conversation between just inputs for the client, like here, I'm going to give you this handout versus we are going to transform your life. And what is it going to take? And so she's like, okay, I'm going to do this. She was game on. That was another, I would say, a key characteristic of those that, that use Eat Love. I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to try this. So she said to me, if I have seven people who sign up, I am going to go forward. And then I'm going to, if I have less than seven, I'm going to go down my route of launching in December and it'll give me plenty more time to do recruitment. Okay. Perhaps it was 12 days later, I get a panicked phone call and then she's like, Monique, I have a problem. And I was like, okay, what's your problem? She goes, I have 107 people who signed up and I'm going live. And I just like, I've got to like increase my capacity on Eat Love. I'm ready to go. And I just said, that is incredibly, you know, that's awesome. And I said, okay, you're going to do this. And you know what? This is not going to be perfect. Like you still had to remind her that the next phase. And then I, she called me two weeks later and she's like, oh my gosh, like now they've invited more friends. I've got to do this. So my, my one ask of her, cause she was like, it was that one little nudge. It was a little bit of tough love in the moment. I must admit, but coming from wall street, it's probably like ingrained in me, which was like, you can do this. We'll worry about the rest later. Is that I said, listen, I have one ask of you. I said, go back into our private Facebook group in our community and tell this story because I can only have one-on-one conversations like with so many of our partners, but really it's so much more powerful coming from her because she can talk about what she was feeling and what she was thinking. And I remember she was a little hesitant because she was like, well, I don't know. How am I going to look in front of my peers? Or what if I'm going to share all my secrets or it's all that... And I said, listen, it's your responsibility now that you've made these learnings to give back to the community that you love so much, which as you say, dietitians are so passionate. And I said, and you're going to help that many more. And sure enough, that's what she did. And that's my only ask for when I do spend some time one-on-one is that you have to give back to those others where, and it could be your biggest mistakes. I said, well, what mistakes did you make and how can you share those lessons with others? And that's part of the culture. We have been so grateful that in order to build Lena, we've had so much commitment from so many different kinds of professionals, dietitians being one of them, but across product and technology and data science. This was a problem that we decided to take the collective we 
and not take a traditional route, I would say, as most technology companies. And I think what has come out of it is cross-discipline. And I would also encourage dietitians to seek mentors outside of nutrition because they're going to give you different perspectives. I think it's important to have both. But that's certainly something that we're most grateful for. The technology is an output of that. The, the awesome client success stories to say here, I've changed my life is a wonderful outcome of that. But the community is what keeps that constantly iterating. Yeah, that's great. And that constant iteration is what gets people's mindset to be positive and abundant, right? So it's really important for community. Building. Yes. Thank you for sharing that story. That's really nice. And, and Thank you. I, I love that that just hones in on the start before you're ready concept, right? Because the results we can get are tremendous and a lot more than we think. So. Yes. And I mean, I look back, I was cleaning out my office a couple weeks ago and my home office, and I found all these notebooks and things that I had written on. And it, I do have the proverbial napkin for Lena that I'll keep someday and kind of frame and put on the wall, which is like sketching what's the back of the envelope. And I think about like, just, it was in that moment where they were kind of embarrassing to look at. Like, it is true. Like you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, these were kind of scribbles and, you know, kind of like thoughts. And it was only by bringing together that incredible team of people across all of those disciplines that we were even able to make it possible. And if I had looked at where we were now and compared it to where we were then, I don't know if I could have ever imagined, like you're married to the problem, like you, you're married to building your best private practice. You're going to fulfill, you know, the best potential and have the impact. And once you've committed to that and you're constantly iterating, I think you have to get there. I, I agree. I love that. What gaps do you see in the world changing and how practitioners who have uh, five to 15 years experience can make an impact with revisiting digital marketing? So I think the question is like really helpful. If I could phrase it a little bit about what are the gaps and then I'll apply it to digital marketing, which is I think some of the gaps still stand where dietitians are thinking of themselves often as and I am quoting them, like, we are scientists, we are clinicians, we are knowledge experts. And I think part of the, of the shift in the mindset is around looking at more, again, that cognitive behavior change. And I think that focusing on the way that everyone was educated, which again, I think, like most of healthcare, and I have some background in this area, where really needs to evolve to keep up with some of the, I would say, more current demands, is that to really know where your patients and clients are and what they expect. So what I mean by that is that when we survey clients, and I have now probably talked to 5,000 of them over the last five years, their head is already 100% in personalization right? So they're seeing personalization in the way they shop, in their, for retail, in the way they travel, in the way that they have clothes sent to their house that are going to fit their, you know, their sizes and their needs. So I think just one of the gaps I would mention is just thinking about it from the perspective of us as consumers and thinking about where clients will be. And even surprises me 
that they'll often end clients will come to us and say, I had a quinoa salad last week. You should have known that that was enough for the whole month and that I don't want to see quinoa again. (laughs) So like the level is on a whole different level. And that would be one thing I would press upon. The personalized nutrition sector is supposed to be come over $65 billion in the next 20 years. This is not going anywhere. So my first challenge to dietitians and nutrition professionals is where are you going to be in that huge shift around consumer behavior? Okay, so that would be my first really emphasize. That's why when we say, you know, handing someone a static, here's what you should eat at this time, is just not going not gonna to work. I think when it comes to digital marketing, one is to be most up to date on the skills and the tools available, because there are so many startups that pop up that are helping you to manage your messaging and your funnel and your metrics and you know what your conversion rates are and all of that. And I think just becoming very familiar with that. And I know that some of your work focuses on that. And I think it's just really important to really educate oneself on how to manage and optimize, optimize their funnel. And I think then just get going so that they can reiterate and really start to look at your, your audience as being perhaps broader, broader and more niche than maybe you thought before. Broader because you're not only limited by your physical location. Yeah. So meaning that the virtual opportunities and the abundance with virtual opportunities mean that we as practitioners have to catch up with what we need to do to market more effectively to to increase our visibility for a global audience. Is is that what you mean? Yes, we're seeing virtual cooking classes. Absolutely. Well said, Libby. We're seeing virtual cooking classes. That online course that I described, you know, perhaps the first version is in in that local community because that's where the email addresses came from and like the first point of contact, but they have friends in other similar organizations in every state in the country. Some states allow dietitians to practice depending on, you know, what the licensure laws are and depending on what kind of service you're providing, right? Is it just purely education? Are you providing MMT? So I think becoming familiar as to where the opportunities are and really being able to drive value and thinking, what are the expectations of the people that I hope to help and transform their lives? And my strongest piece of feedback in that and what is supported by data is around the level of personalization that your clients expect could probably blow your mind when you really get in and actually interview them. The other area and and the other gap that I would say that our data shows us is around retention. So for example, common business thinking rule of thumb is that the cost of acquisition for a, a client is about one third minimum the lifetime value of their client. And what we see in public data and in private data is that the average person meets with a dietitian between 1.68 times and 2.2 times. And that's data, as I said, that we work with over 400 like hospitals, gyms, wellness centers. We see a very broad range of data in this context. And I would say that it takes a dietitian one to three hours to acquire one client and they're staying with them 2.2 times, they're not making money off of that, ultimately that lifetime value of that client. 
And I would say that the gap often is to really look at those hard numbers because I truly believe in every sort of sector or industry I've ever worked that what gets measured gets improved. And so if you look at like, why is it taking me two hours to acquire a client? Can I reduce that to only one hour? And then I think one of the benefits that we hear from our partners that, that Eat Love drives outcomes for them is around retention. So because you can shift away from, oh, I'm meeting with a dietitian, I see them as a knowledge expert, I want a meal plan, which is what patients will often tell their, their dietitians. Instead, the conversation is shifting to, we're going on a journey together. I'm going to set you up with some tools. We're going to set a nutrition prescription. And from there, you're going to really invest you as the patient on yourself and then the system. That's going to take a while, right? Because, you know, it's going to take time to actually shift those behaviors. And I'm going to be with you. And what we see in the data is that when dietitians are framed more as food psychologists, uh, food therapists, those are their terms, not mine, that the retention rate goes from 2.2 times and doubles to over four times. And so it's really important that looking at that relationship to say how long, you know, if we're doing a three-month membership with your client, then that leads to another six-month membership where we revisit the nutrition prescription. Maybe we've been reviewing food logs. Maybe we need to have uh, another, you know, consult to dive into a specific uh, issue. That's how those relationships that used to be, you know, again, 1.6 times to 2.2 visits are now looking like three, six, 12 months. I just interviewed a patient who's using now going into their third year on Eat Love. And I asked them, I said, what made you stay? Like you've been with your dietitian for three years. That would be a dream for any business, right? Is to be able to have that relationship. And the answer was really simple. The dietitian is delivering value and Eat Love is making it easier for me to actually incorporate her recommendations into my everyday life. And let's face it, Monique, I don't want to create my own grocery list. I have all my recipes already saved in Eat Love. I can edit them and, and I can add my mother's lasagna. Why would I want to start over? And I think that to me is the transformation that this environment, I mean, there's a lot of awful things about COVID-19. I think one of the unintended consequences has come out of this, and it could be shifted to the positive, is that dietitians have a way to rethink the way that they deliver value and then how they're delivering value. And, and we will continue at Eat Love to keep challenging that because we are seeing all of this huge amount of data and talking to end clients. And we just see this opportunity, again, to have your clients, you know, wouldn't it be awesome that they're with you for three years and, and through a pregnancy or through menopause, or maybe it's someone's running a marathon. Like we all go through these different aspects. Or, you know, we talked about you having a running coach, right? We're all going through these different changes and evolutions in our life. And I believe as do you know, all of us here at Eat Love, that dietitians have a key role to play in that. Let's just do it in such a way that it's just not dietitians having to spend more time 
all the time to do that because they'll never be able to scale their business in a way that is highly profitable and to meet all of the metrics that all of those successful businesses, regardless if you're in dietetics or if you're in any kind of technology or any kind of service provider, that you're hitting all of those right metrics, that you know that you're running a successful business. Yeah, incredible. So as we wrap up here, I think you've answered it as far as gaps you see with new dietitians, but is there any kind of final notes that you want to add to that about how specifically newer dietitians, given COVID and the world turning virtual, um, what, what tips would you have for them specifically about how they can create more income and impact for those that are, let's say, in practice under five or three years, or maybe even students who are brand new to becoming registered? Sure. I would say if you've been a dietitian for five years, my encouragement is to think of yourself like a new dietitian because the world is changing. If you're a new dietitian, I would say to benefit from finding mentors in and outside of dietetics who are going to show you every aspect of the business. Clearly, clinical and counseling is an important element of that but also how do you build a successful business for the long-term and are you hitting the right metrics? And I think programs like yourself and working one-on-one with them, if individuals feel like that is what they need at that moment, I think is a really valid path. And I think for all dietitians and all professionals, really emphasizing the entrepreneurial mindset, which is you're going to need to adapt and to refine constantly to be able to be the professional that you want to be for the long term. Love it. Absolutely love it. Thank you for for sharing your expertise and reflections and stories today. Uh, Is there any final thoughts you want to leave us with? Yeah, I just want to um, do a special shout out to the eLove team. One of the things, you know, we launched the ability to edit recipes on Christmas Eve because I said all I want for Christmas is the ability to edit recipes. And then I would also say to all of the dietitians who are currently on the front line, I'm not sure if your listeners know that, but for many dietitians in the Army Reserves, they've been called up. We have several of our members that are in makeshift hospitals across the country working on tube feeding. They, they are still running their private practice from the hotel that they are staying at and using Eat Love to continue to, to drive their business. But many of them are away from their families. And just to, you know, special shout out to thank them for their support and for their service. Amazing. Thank you so much, Monique. It's been a pleasure having you. Absolutely. Thank you, Libby, for having me. It's been a pleasure. If you identify as a female dietitian or student, apply to my coaching program. I'm accepting applications now. My clients go from zero to exceeding their sales goals. I save you time, energy, and I show you how to confidently become a dietitian boss. Thousands of your colleagues from around the world are doing it, and so can you. Apply on my website at LibbyRothschild.com and check the show notes if you want that link right away.